Episode 139, Agent Carter, Season 2, Episode 4, Smoke and Mirrors. Welcome to Level 7. Podcast about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a magical place. Hey, welcome back to the show. It's me, Ben. Ben Avery, and I'm here with someone who I think is not shaking his hands to the beat Agent Dandy Daniel. It could have been the snowblower earlier today. Did a lot of shaking of my hands, so they're all shook out. Yeah, well, that's okay. It is that time of year for a blizzard. <laughs> that's right. If you're a fan of Agent uh, of Agents of Shield, that can only mean we're in summer. We're not in summer, but it feels like but summer here in Indiana. That's how seasons work, and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. are always off. Yeah. Well, Los Angeles is always summer anyway. So, jerks. Yeah. They are jerks for having the better weather than us. Actually, I, I didn't like Los Angeles weather when I lived there, but that is another story. I missed the rain. I missed the fall. It's that romantic in you, isn't it, Ben? It's the... Mm, the guy who likes gray days and green trees. Well, That's you know what that is. makes me think, Ben. No, I don't. I think, we should, I think we should take the time to maybe, you know, get a little closer to our episode where we can talk about casual sexual encounters. What? Am I spoiling stuff? I think so. This no. is not Jessica Jones. I know. Sage Carter. I know. Okay. All right. Well, let's go to our, our news here. SSR Intelligence Report. We have no news this week other than Puckstatani, Paul, Pot, Pace Pot, Pete, whatever that little thing's name was. Apparently, he didn't see his shadow, so we're going to get an early spring. So there you go, Daniel. That's our news for the day. What do you think? And I, I'm really feeling it right now. Again, buried in snow. <laughs> Well, I'm not buried in snow. I went to work in a shirt, no jacket, no vest, no nothing. Sorry, Daniel. I'm living. Ben, I'm living Agents of Shield. It seems like. Ben, I think it's coming for you, Ben. It might. It might. I wouldn't mind it. I like winter too, but I like fall better. But you know what else I like? Talking about our TV show. Are you ready? Yeah. SS mission report. So there we have it. We are ready. We are talking about our episode. Let's talk about our episode, Daniel. Well, Ben, I, I think we should kick it off the way we have the last few times with you giving us a thumbnail sketch. We could. You know, I think what we might do, though, this time, we'll get thumbnails and stop where the commercials were, which means we are going to stop to talk about this episode about 18 times during the uh, the synopsis. You know what, Ben, I watched with a DVR. Well, that's good for you because there was one, two, three, four, five commercial breaks. 
giving us six acts in this episode. Just just practice for the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think we can stop at the commercial break and just say, hey, is there something to talk about here? And if there is, we'll talk about it. And if there's not, we'll... We'll move on. I think there'll be something to talk about with each commercial break, especially with the way they had the flashbacks going. What'd you think of the flashbacks here? I liked it. It felt like an episode of Daredevil. <laughs> it did. A really fun, bright episode of Daredevil, although some of the flashbacks weren't exactly bright and did feel a little Daredevilish. now that I think about it. I, I did like how she was able to pull off a younger voice to show she, she was a younger lady. Yeah, I don't know if that was... Strictly speaking, pulled off, but uh, dude, it's called acting. Yeah, good job, Miss Hat Atwell. Good job. Well, I do have a confession to make, Daniel. I'm not going to make it right now. I've already made it on Twitter, but I will be making it when we get to that point in time. But there is a deep confession that I have to make. Oh man, when All we right. get there, well, take us through this first act. All right. Well, I don't know if this is the first act or the teaser because this is before the. I think this is the, this is the first act, yeah, because it includes the uh, the opening title screen. But anyway, we start off with a little girl who we find out is named Margaret Carter, who is playing knights and dragons and saving the damsel in distress and being antagonized by her brother, and then being corrected by her mother and told to start acting like a lady. We go from that to our. Adult-aged Peggy Carter, who is slamming cake into her mouth. Not acting like a lady, but she's helping Wilkes examine Whitney Frost's scientific discoveries. She's not just a genius. She defies categorization. And speaking of the devil, since they were speaking of Frost, we come and we see Frost has received a delivery of white lab rats. And that can only mean good things, right, Daniel? Always, always good things for rats. It's not like, you know, experiments are done on them. And then we come back from our uh, title card and we see that Jarvis is helping Peggy to stake out Chadwick to find Frost. But they recognize her attacker, find out that this guy uh, who they they track the car, it's a guy named Hunt. He's the head of security at the Arena Social Club, which actually then goes back to what I wondered is the... The uh, intuitive guard that I was asking about last time, if he was the same guy that we saw in the in the trees before he put on his mask to attack Carter, and it is. And they plan to take him out using trank darts. That's our first commercial. So here we have Peggy asking the eternal question, a question I ask you, Daniel, almost every week. What are your feelings about committing a felony? Am I going to get caught? I think is always the biggest consideration whenever yeah. you ask that question. That is usually your answer. You do not answer the way Jarvis does, which is, in this case, decidedly four. I'm just saying of the two of us, Ben, I'm probably more morally ambiguous. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. I mean, at least when I'm going to set out to commit a felony, I, I, I'm not justifying it. I know what it is. I'm, I'm, ben, between the two of us, I'm, I'm just more willing to color outside the lines. Okay. All right. I do have a more steady hand at this point in time. Really, really had a hard time when I color actually staying in lines. (laughs) Especially with your cold Minnesota hands. Yeah. Yeah. So shaking and yeah. Uh, That's factual right there. (laughs) So Whitney Frost is getting rats. This is, I mean, we know where this is going, right? Oh, well, 
I'm assuming an experiment. And what's that experiment going to involve? I would assume, you know, living flesh. What does she need living flesh for? Well, she took care of some living flesh, you know, in the last episode. So we're probably going to see some sad things happen to the rats. But the other element for yeah, this... Let's just call it morally ambiguous things are going to happen to the rats. No, it's sad. It's sad. Those rats don't deserve that. I mean, I'm all for animal experimentation in the right context. This is not the right context. I don't know what the right context is, but if there is a right context, I'm all for it. Good enough. Good enough. <laughs> okay. True, true confessions with Ben. Uh, this is not even the true confession I was going to get. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the only thing that I really wanted to talk about with this this section here is we got some, you know, Carter Wilkes stuff going on, but then you also have Carter and Jarvis, and Jarvis, he's not the sharpest tool in the shed, as they say, sometimes. And this is one of those times where he sees the guy and he's just, hey, he has a wound in the same exact place as your attacker. Oh. No, he's no Sherlock Holmes. No. Don't let the accent confuse you. No, he is not. And it's one of those where, you know, everyone does it every once in a while. We start talking and realize, oh, what I'm saying is completely stupid. I should stop right now, but it's too late. Case in point, me talking about experimentation on animals. But I'm glad you could live up to that. Yeah. Hey, it's a fair cop. It's a fair cop. I am totally, I am self-aware. But with uh, Jarvis here, (laughs) I don't know if that was taking it too far. This episode, he's kind of made out to be a buffoon. Or buffoonish. And we'll, well, we'll... He, he does definitely play some comedy relief in this episode as we get deeper and deeper into it. Yeah. But he's also proving himself of worth. I mean, apparently the life of Howard Stark's butler is more than tea time and croissants. It actually involves tranquilizers. Tranquilizers <laughs> and koala and bears. Look, <laughs> and, and let me let me just be specific here. Not for ambigu- morally ambiguous uses. With humans. No, no. It's it's not Typically. the way you would use a tranquilizer dart with your gray moral and whatever. It's the way I would use one on a hey, koala bear. There I was. I was at a party. I was falling asleep because I didn't feel well, and I heard them threaten to use a Sharpie on my forehead. And so when my friend at the same engagement began to fall asleep, I also threatened to seek revenge. And he was a lot more sleepier than me. Sure. Okay. I'm- is this your true confession? Yes. Okay. So from there, we cut to commercial, and we come back from the commercial, and we are not in Kansas anymore. Instead, we're in Oklahoma. Okay? It's 1920. Yeah, we're in Broxton. It's 1920. I and... have no idea why Asgard would want to relocate there based on what I'm seeing. Uh, because it's open and wide, and it's a nice place to park a giant floating island city castle thing. That's... That's my my guess. And my guess, okay. uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going with that. I'm sticking with that answer. In 1920, we see another little girl who is playing with electronics. And her uncle Bud is coming. Uh, she Dude, has, that is not her uncle. No, it's not her uncle. She makes it very clear that it's not her uncle. And I'm just saying my uncle and my mom did not do those things together. No, no. And and why are they doing these things? Well, her mom has a place to live 
they have this house. She's a single mother. Her daughter is a young Frost. Uh, Cully is, is her name. Mm-hmm. Agnes. Agnes. Aggie. She's fixing a radio. And so we have... Well, well, I'll wait until we get to the commercial. But she's fixing a radio. She's not real receptive to Uncle Bud. Uncle Bud, you know, her mother is fu- far more receptive to Uncle Bud. And they go away to the bedroom. She turns up the music. And then we go to another place with music playing. And we, f- we see those experiments. She's experimenting with zero matter. It is Frost. She's interrupted by Chadwick, who only cares about the campaign. And her pretty face for their photo to be on the cover of Life magazine. Um, and pretty face is really going to become a, begin to become a theme. Well, we've already heard it once, Uncle Bud. Yeah. And so Chadwick, Uncle Bud, it's going to come up again and again and again, especially for the girl who won't smile. Yeah, yeah. So she's holding a rat. It bites her, and now her experiment works. But there's not only does it work, we find out that her crack on her forehead uh, where we can see the zero matter that is within her. It's getting bigger. And she writes down her notes. Meanwhile, Jarvis pretends to be the police, knocks on the door to get Hunt to come out of his apartment. Hunt runs out the other way, right into Peggy Carter, who subdues him. Uh, but then Jarvis is also subdued by the same tranquilizer that they were trying to use on Hunt. And this and, is where we really- get my new phrase that I'm going to be using. No, you are not. I am. You are not. Yes. Because, you, you know, this is an not. awesome phrase. This phrase is absolutely no. Jarvelous. No. Yes. It's Jarvelous, my friend. You have crossed a line. I thought I was the morally ambiguous one, and apparently you're not. Well, Daniel, you can have your thoughts, and I'll have it was mine. My day. It was my day to be Jarvelous. I am the Jarvelous one today. No. No, it was my day to be Jarvelous, and I'm a hot mess about this. Well, you can be that if you want. I'm just going to sit here with a smug little Jarvelous smile on my face as we talk about, well, the little girl playing with electronics. We have two young girls that we have seen who are doing things that are not typically feminine for their time. One little girl is playing with electronics, the other is playing with a sword and rescuing a maiden from a pretend dragon and this is not the first time that we're going to see some some form of of uh similarities between frost and carter but or not the last time i should say this is the first time this episode but yeah they they both are trying to be something beyond what their expected role is and for this little girl how old is she nine ten probably in that in that age range but she's fixing a radio that you know no one else could fix not even uncle bud well and she's definitely precocious i mean again as you say she's fixing a radio that good old uncle bub bud can't fix yeah um she also is a precocious little kid who has a good sense of chill uh, of character and personalities i mean she sees through bud i mean Bud is clearly using, you know, a little technique here to, to be, he wants to be liked. You know what I mean? He wants to be liked by her. Yeah, yeah. And, and she's, she's not a not jerk about have. it, though. No. Like, they could she's have. She's just not friendly. 
Yeah. They could have really made her into, you know, this kind of child, you know, that's just mean or nasty or, or silly or goofy, you know, sticking out her tongue or, you know, but she's just, he says, you know, you're, you're, <laughs> if you don't, if you keep making a face like that, your face is going to stick like that, which is another, we're getting to that, that face thing. He says a line that's echoed later on, you know, I bet if you smiled, you'd be real pretty. And then that's Chadwick's whole situation with her is he wants her to take a picture for Life magazine that'll be, you know, a, with a pretty smile. Because that pretty face is the, the key to the front of Life magazine. Yeah, yeah. But you get it all image. The face is what's going to give them prominence. And, but then he says, well, why won't you smile? And she just looks at him and gives an answer. I was expecting it to be a jerky kid answer that would be, you know, cliche. And instead, it's because I'm thinking, and it's just this, it's a typical, true feeling answer. It feels like something a real kid would say to someone who just is kind of bothering them. You know, they can't be real mean. They can't be a jerk about it because that's not okay. But But they can be honest. Yeah, and they can, yeah, they can take it as far as they can. And, And, you know, should she really be happy to see Uncle Bud at the end of the day? I mean... Oh, no, absolutely not. He is, I mean, he's there to receive favorite mother. Um, you know, that this casual relationship that has, well, to be honest, it's a monetary exchange. Yeah, which, yeah. No, again, she just kind of weighs in on the plight of Wilma and, and Aggie, you know, that they are literally at the, the mercy of mother's pretty face. Yeah. Uh, she welcomes him into her bedroom and he welcomes her into this home that they, that they can keep. Um, but then we get that scene with Jarvis and as much as I enjoyed hearing him say how he was feeling, uh, again, I, I just feel he, he's turned into the buffoon here. <laughs> well, now, so now in this case, it's a tranquilized point. buffoon. You know, he's a buffoon because he's been hit by a tranquilizer and he's knocked unconscious. You see, you, you're focusing on the buffoonery. I think this is them just introducing some action comedy into it. And and to me, this whole sequence starts with them trying to take down Hunt with the tranquilizer and he not going down. Because, you know, it's a little humorous to see this man who's had enough tranquilizer to take down a rhino not stop. And then we get the fight. And it's a little bit sillier than the last time they fought just because, again, he's been tranquilized. And then you work in Jarvis's plight. And so it just it feels like you know we've had action every every episode. This this turns it a little bit, giving us some action comedy. And there's not a lot of action in this episode. Uh, but in this case, I just don't like Jarvis being the butt of the jokes. He's been the butt of the jokes often, but this this one just takes a little bit further in a, in a weird direction that I just. I don't know. It just doesn't doesn't work but well for me. But the problem is, is he has to be the butt of the jokes because it's impossible to make Wilkes the butt of a joke because he is in a plight. You can't make Sosa, Sosa the butt of a joke because, to be blunt, he's being thrown into a new plight. Can't make Peggy the butt of the joke because she's our hero. And Does somebody have if, to be the butt of a joke? Well, if you're going to have action comedy, yes. Mm. And apparently they... Wanted to do that this episode, and I'll be honest, I liked it. And by the way, you can't have Howard be the butt of the joke, who was the butt of the jokes last time, just through his just exaggerated personality. You can't have him be it because he's in Peru. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, they had to do something. There, this episode again, it doesn't have a lot of action. This is a character building episode. This is the flashback episode, and really after this point, there's tension but not action. And any action that is about to happen, it gets cut short, very quickly, for for various reasons. Well, our next <laughs> our next commercial break. We, we come back and uh, Sousa is at Stark's place and he has intel on Frost uh, that he tries to talk to Peggy about. Peggy does become the butt of a joke here because she just, you know, for a spy, she doesn't lie very well. Or maybe it's just because it's Sousa and, and she's off guard, but he no, figures I think out it's a situation where it's very off guard. He figures out that they have a person in their trunk, which is that felony they were talking about, the kidnapping. We uh, then move to a flashback, England, 1940, and we see a group of women in a room surrounding another woman who has a ring. It's a situation you see all the time when someone gets engaged. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We need to slow down here. No, we, we don't. Just, no, we don't. We no, do no Daniel. No, I am doing this synopsis. You let me do it. Let no, me reveal see, the information. You're, you're missing. Let me. Re- I am not. No, no, I'm not. You're missing something big. I'm not missing something big. We pull back. We find out what they are doing. Is this is a group of code breakers in yeah. England? Okay, dude. The moment they start the scene, before you even see them do this, you already know it's a group of code breakers. For heaven's sakes, man, crack a history book. It's Bletchley Park. This place won the war. Well, it's one of several things that helped win the war, but. I mean, this is important. And so the thing that I waited five seconds to talk about, that's what you're picking a bone with with me about? Well, the fact you just walk into the scene and you just assume it's about an office party. Again, the context is immediately explained the minute they flash up Bletchley Park. Yeah, to you. I'm just saying that our United Kingdom contingents have already been yelling at you. Maybe they have been. Or maybe they haven't. Maybe they were going right along with the plot like I was. Probably not. Oh. They were probably trying to point so out. So you this. knew they were code breakers even though it could have been the secretary pool? Um, well, A, we're talking about Peggy, who's highly intelligent. And B, this is a time where Britain's manpower is yeah. spread out. Didn't All say right. anything about ultra intelligence. The, the fact that Bletchley no. Park broke uh, the German Enigma code. The fact that the British could actually read German naval code at time, allowing them to win the the, the uh, Battle of Atlantic. You know, have intelligence on what was going to occur at D-Day. I mean, it's the probably the greatest code breaking slash intelligence story of all time. Yeah, well, and I believe I believe Doctor Strange, though I haven't seen it. Uh, I believe the Imitation Game. I've been hearing some good things about that. Is about Bletchley Park. Might be. No, I, in fact, I'm pretty sure it is. Really should see it, but again, I don't see a lot of movies lately. Yeah. Well, Peggy's engaged to be married, and she's an exceptional code breaker, and so they have invited her to join the field. To go into the field, they are recruiting irregular operatives for irregular again, warfare. Again, and, and big, another history lesson for you, Ben. SOE is a real thing in World War II, a real organization put together. Supporting groups like the Commandos, supporting intelligence operations throughout uh, Europe. This is a real true thing. 
and true to the time. I mean, you would have used uh, women recruits to uh, go undercover to work with resistance, which oftentimes women were also resistance fighters. That's good, but shouldn't you wait until we get to the commercial break when we talk about the stuff that happened? Dude, the minute I saw the letter from the SOE, I already knew what we are talking about. Yeah, that's that's not what I'm talking about, though. I'm talking about shouldn't we have been talking about the history lesson after I finished giving the synopsis? You're no, breaking I, it all down. This is all going. It's all You've ruined Christmas. I don't understand why the history lesson wasn't part of the synopsis. Because the synopsis is meant to be the short version, and then you get into all the details and the nitty-gritty. Now we don't need to, other than they are going to use malaria, or the threat of it, when we come back to that, uh, the threat of malaria, for uh, Hunt's interrogation. And here's where we get into gray areas. And they they give then him an intense, intense cold. I'm just saying, I'm a simple man with a history degree, and I have nothing to say about malaria. Yeah, but now it's the commercial break. Here's where we would have talked about all those history things that you were just talking about. So I guess we should just move on to Oklahoma 1927. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Bud's stepping out on on uh, Agnes and her mother. And Bud is now kicking out also Agnes and her mother. So, And, and I will admit I'm a little confused by this scene in the sense of, is he picking a new mistress? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or, it, or is he actually committing to marrying a younger woman? I mean, he's found someone no younger and better. Now. He's found someone younger and better who cares it's, about him, makes him feel good. It is sad. It's terrible. I mean, he he's throwing them out. They have nowhere to go. And they've been relying on this, and now it's just gone. So, anyway, Mama lashes out against... Agnes tells her pretty face is the only thing that's going to get you anywhere. We come to the present day, and there's Frost sitting at her desk looking in the mirror, playing with the rats. Chadwick calls on the phone, says it's your face that Life Magazine wants, but she hangs up. And But she's she's been experimenting. She can't go to the photo shoot now because she has this much larger scar on the side of her face. Meanwhile, Hunt is not talking, and then... He is talking. He's afraid because there's no running from the people he works with. But he tells them that the Council of Nine is records every single meeting that they have. And it's in the storage room in the arena club. Jarvis, meanwhile, is helping Wilkes. Wilkes has reached a dead end. But he keeps seeing some sort of crack in the space ahead opening up that is zero matter. And then we cut to the SSR where... Souza and Carter are working on getting a warrant to raid the arena club. And then suddenly they aren't because Vernon Masters comes with an order to audit this branch of the SSR. The order comes from the War Department. It's an executive order. And then we cut to commercial. This is not a real exciting uh, breaking point here, but it's tense. And you think they're going to go and do some sort of untouchables type of raid. They all have shotguns. They're ready to go. And it just gets cut short. Hunt's already hung a lampshade on it, calling her Elliot Ness. Yeah, exactly. And you have this scene here where it feels like they're going to go raid, like a like an Elliot Ness kind of raid. But then the other thing that made me think of the Untouchables was how was Al Capone taken down, Mr. History Major? It wasn't for um, all the crimes that he was doing. Tax fraud. Yeah. And they're shut down. 
they're going to go raid to find secret stuff about the arena club, but then they get, you know, the, the governmental version of the same kind of thing they were planning to do where they're going to get audited and all of their case files need to be opened to these government employees. And Vernon Masters is not a good guy. I don't like him more and more every time. No, he's not. He's not. Well, that's our commercial. Um, Any more to there's talk some about things there? in there that you were talking about that I really wanted to say something about. But well, this you, is the time to do it. You just go so fast sometimes, Ben. That's the whole point. I go through it fast and then we talk about it. You got no history in there and, you know. Well, what's the history we're missing here? Just freaking me out. And... What's the history we're missing here? Well, quite frankly, I forgot. But here's something I did remember <laughs> that I forgot earlier. Uh, in our opening segment, did you notice that uh, Wilkes said quantum? He did. He thought his, his atoms had been changed at a quantum level. Nice uh -huh. Ant-Man reference. Or so, it could be you know, a history reference to some of Einstein's theories. No, I think it's an Ant-Man reference. But here's the good news, Ben. Yeah. If I remember that now, in 20 minutes, I'll remember the thing I wanted to talk about. Was it McKinley and Black Tuesday? No, no, it wasn't. No. You know, again, it was nice to see them saying that the Arena Club has been controlling history and events in history. The Council of Nine. You still think they're not Hydra, though, right? Yeah, we've that ship's already sailed. We already saw the conclusive evidence. I mean, we know they're Hydra. Makes me wonder where Violet from Hydra is. Where is Violet? We haven't seen her in a while. Oh. Okay. Well, we come back from commercial, and it's Masters versus Carter. They have a nice little face-off. Masters has been waiting to see Carter. He's heard so much about her from Thompson. And he says, you're quite the independent thinker, which is it an insult or a compliment? We don't know. But she is an independent thinker. And the fact is, she's a thinker, and she does not trust him. <laughs> yeah, she worked at Bletchley Park. <laughs> yeah, she's a thinker. She can do math, and math is hard for me. Okay. <laughs> we get into more history with the uh, Hollywood 10, and uh, the threat of what happened to the Hollywood 10 is something that could happen similarly to Agent Carter, or at least to Agent Carter's friends. A tidal wave is coming, and you'll have to work hard to stay afloat. She believes she can stay afloat. Master's threat is lost on her until she realizes he's actually not threatening her. She's being He's threatening her friends. And then we go back to England, 1940. Dinner with her brother and fiancé. It's her engagement party. And we find out that it was actually her brother, who we saw in that first scene, who recommended Carter for the SOE. Her brother knows that this is not the life she's looking for, the life of, you know, just the home front, uh, the life of, you know, a housewife and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. And then we go back to the arena club. No, we, we go back to the investigation uh, back in the SSR and the arena club, they assume, has removed their incriminating evidence. Carter is going to continue. And how are they going to continue? They let Hunt, they let Hunt escape. And we see Chekhov's electronic surveillance device. The failure happened at the Arena Club, but they have now brought that back to use on Hunt. And Hunt is going to be their mole. But he escapes, and Sousa has to take the hit. Any history here? 
Well, yeah, actually, yes, Ben. I'm sad to see my Disney California pin quit working. I was trying to take notes so that I could actually remember these things that you're forgetting. <laughs> Here's something we really need to point out about Agent Carter and showing us a transition now. We're transitioning in American history from a new, into a new period. You know, we've seen Peggy basically in World War II, in the World War II era, fighting the Axis. And we've now moved further into the post-war era where we're not just dealing with, you know, the reaction of men returning home and that sort of thing. We also now have much, much firmly politically the Cold War. I mean, that's what Vernon's hinting at, you know. Commies. We're seeing commies more and more places. Yeah, in the first season we saw Dottie. We knew she was Soviet. But we didn't really see figures walking around, pointing out fingers, looking at commies as being bad guys. And and to be blunt, this is going to enter a period of almost around 50 years where, you know, when I was a kid, that's who, when I played war, I fought. I fought the commies because uh, we're now entering a new period and maybe a little slightly darker period. Uh, yeah, definitely a more um, suspicious period where anyone could be a communist. Uh, they could be your neighbor. They could be your brother. And, yeah, and you could get blacklisted just by being one. Uh, Which is Or being sad. accused of being one, honestly. And that's what I, the threat I, is. The threat is not, oh, your, your friends are communists. The threat is your friends could be outed as communists, and it doesn't matter if they are or not. You know, here's the thing. We're currently in a political season here in the United States, Ben. Yeah. And you know what I've ironically been finding myself thinking a lot? What? What would Captain America think? <sighs> About certain political trends that we've seen. You know, when someone tells me something, I try to evaluate it sometimes through the the eyes of Steve Rogers. Just because, as pointed out by the reason Captain America... Um, special that you didn't watch you know honestly captain america steve rogers is supposed to represent the best of what we believe as americans and here's the really really interesting and sad thing is as much as it was the united states government that was doing some of this blacklisting and, and just public persecution of individuals like the hollywood 10 this is really something that would have just angered captain america because it is against the American ideal, because these are people that are, in the end, not having the full value of their liberty because of what they're being accused of in a place where there's apparently supposed to be free speech. Yeah, and we and we have that happening here. It, what's, what's weird... Did I go too heavy? No, no, because I'm about to go a little bit heavier. What's oh. weird about today and this kind of, you know, communist witch hunt kind of thing is that I feel like it's a little more insidious... Because it's not just the powerful who are going after everyone. It's it's the people who, you know, it's just everyday people who are, you know, getting on social media and who are demonizing anyone who disagrees with them. And it's not one party, though. It's not one party going after communists. It's, it's everyone going after anyone who's different. And it doesn't take much to be different nowadays. It doesn't. And it doesn't take much to make someone, you know, just drag someone through the mud and destroy a career, destroy a life, destroy a family. 
Now, granted, some of these things are true that are happening. Like I think of the, oh, the, the whatever Madison scandal where you have men who, if they weren't getting an affair, they were looking into how to get an affair and suddenly they're exposed. But some of those people, you know, it's years and years ago and it's getting brought out into the light. It's possible they had taken care of that and now it's boom, just there for everyone to just look at. Um, it's, it's a little scary. It's a little scary, but at the same time, it's just sad because again, people aren't looking at people as people. They're monsters. It was worse back then. As far as when you're a communist, you were literally a monster and that's how they portrayed, you know, this kind of stuff in, in movies was, you know, anyone could be a monster invasion of the body snatchers is a great example of that communist, uh, scare mindset. Great, great movie, great movie that could only have been made in that time. Uh, so when they remade it in the seventies, it was something they, they took a left turn with it and, and reimagined it for the seventies. But anyway, I think at the end, Many listeners won't be shocked to discover that when we reach Winter Soldier, I mean Civil War, that I'm on the side of Cap. (laughs) Just saying. Okay. So we come back from the commercial, and it's 1940 again. Uh, At first I thought it was the wedding day, but it's not. She's uh, uh, Carter is just putting on her wedding dress with her mother. Her mother is trying not to cry. Um... But she's she's trying on the dress, but it's interrupted by someone downstairs at the door. And Daniel, here's where my, my true confession comes. That proves I'm not just a heartless beast of a monster. Uh, I, I, I cry a little bit. I, but Ben, the cliche told us that he had to die. Oh, I, I knew that. It doesn't matter. It was called acting, Daniel. Oh. It was acting. It was um, the way that they... I mean, they shot the scene even in a little bit of a cliche way. Uh, the first time I saw something like this, I thought it was really, really effective, and I put it in a couple of my scripts uh, that I was writing when I was in film school, but where you have the bad news given off screen or bad, the bad news is given through a window or through a door... I've seen it a few times now in hospitals where, you know, you have them, the bad news being given by a doctor to a family down the hall and you only see the reaction. You don't see the news being given, but you see the reaction. And that's what you see here. Uh, I mean, as soon as someone knocked on the door, you knew what it was. And then you see the mom, the dad, two soldiers. Now you really know what's going on. Then you see mom just collapse. But it was it was Carter's reaction. She looks, she says her brother's name, she starts to cry, she turns away from the window, braces herself. Like, that's, that was really affecting, and I'm watching it, I'm like, this is making me want to cry, and tears are in my eyes, I'm thinking, I need to stop this, but I didn't. I just cried a little bit. And then we're back to the present day, where it's not that exciting, but it's a little bit tense. They're listening to uh, Wilkes. And uh, Wilkes and Souza and Carter are listening to Hunt and Frost. And we get a little bit of a conversation between Wilkes and Carter where he says, something is calling me. It'd be really easy to just let go. Uh, But then Chadwick comes home and Hunt hasn't said anything yet 
to Frost. Chadwick comes home, and he starts laying in to Hunt. Hunt will speak to him, though. He's angry. But then Frost asks the question that really needs to be asked. What did you tell her? What did you tell Carter? And she starts closing the window shades. She's suddenly acting almost kind of forgiving. She uses her power on Hunt, absorbs him, and <laughs> lets Chadwick have it. Chadwick's pretty pretty freaked out. And then we're in Hollywood, 1934. Young Frost wants to see a movie. She's already seen this movie, but she doesn't have any money. And the ticket lady gives her a free ticket, asks her, why do you even come to this movie? You already saw it last week. And Frost's answer is, it's nice to escape from the world. It helps you forget about your troubles. And she goes around the corner, and there's a talent agent who is looking for a, a pretty face and tells her that line again. You, I bet you're real pretty when you smile. And you need a name as pretty as you are. And we recognize, we have a lot of people touching her face in this episode. And then we come back to Chadwick and Frost. And Chadwick is just kind of, what are you? And we are done. That's our episode, Daniel. Any thoughts here with uh, either the the usage of the power or the wedding day? I mean, obviously you. Oh, Ben, I have so many thoughts. Did you have any emotions though, Daniel? Um, Did you have I... any emotions here, or is it just too cliched for you? Are you I so I was jaded? Spending a lot of time thinking about the history and the things that are actually being displayed in this episode that we can learn from. And, and I mean, there's some cliches. And I mean, Michael's an obvious cliche. I mean, Michael is the older mentor. Michael knows Peggy. Michael sees who she really is. We see this throughout this episode. He pushes her to be the best she can be in the image that she sees of herself. And so you know Michael's going to have to die um, because he's going to have to be gone in order for her to actualize um, what she's going to be. Does, but do you have any feelings about that... this, Daniel? Do you have any feelings about this? Well, I, I really think that they do a really nice representation of, you know, the home front in World War II in which this... But do you have any feelings scene, about this? But the scene, it's played out countless times as, you know, uh, an entire nation's manhood, man, British generation... Is wiped away, and you have to remember this isn't the first time no, that this no. this society has gone through this. I mean, if you listen to our our friend Mark's podcast where he talks to he goes through his his grandfather's letters. I mean, that was another war. This was an experience that the British had to experience twice in the twentieth century, and it, it's very painful. To to be honest to me, when you say, "Do I feel any emotions about this, Ben?" Um, when I read about this in books, like we were. Uh, we were soldiers. I mean, which is very shows a, a government and an army that doesn't handle that experience well. Yeah, I mean, you can get very emotional about it. This is fictional people, so, so no, for some reason I'm no a little emotions. less. Yeah, you you have you're very clinical about this tonight. Very clinical. I, I think it's because it it really kind of dials into a specific spot for me. Well, and you're right. I mean, World War One was a war of attrition. They'd already lost. So many men, so many men. And then World War II, again, Britain was in it a lot longer than we were. 39. And they were they were losing a lot of people. And then, of course, you had them 
get attacked on the home front as well. But and, and I'll also say the dislike that Michael clearly has of Fred is also been historically proven out over the years too when you look at literature on on military men uh, men who will fight on the front oftentimes find it easier and you see it in the world war one christmas soccer game but they find it actually easier to um humanize the opponent on the other side of something like a trench or a front line because they actually share that experience someone like fred is is the antithesis to michael because he's you know, behind the front lines, he's in the rear. He's he's working in the. I think he says the home office. Mm-hmm. Um, so he is relatively de- dispatched from the danger. So he really can't understand Michael, and and really even the dialogue that's used in that exchange really rings true to me because of that. They're they have two very different perspectives on the war. Now it's not as slanted as it might have been between an American GI and someone in the War Department like Vernon. Oh, who I'm assuming was in the War Department during World War II. You know, Susan and Vernon's war experience would be even more separated because if Fred at least had to go through things like the Blitz so that he still was in danger and peril throughout the war. Where someone like Vernon, if he never left Washington, D.C., never truly was. So, I mean, that dialogue, again, th- these are the sorts of things that are fascinating me today is the historical dialogue and interchanges and just – truth being told through fiction which again as you know is things that i love about comic book stories is that you do have truth ringing out through comic books well i had feelings too coming through that truth because i'm watching this and yeah it is i have seen this it play out in many different mediums uh obviously haven't experienced it in my own actual life but as I'm watching that, I'm just thinking, well, what would this mean for a family? And how many countless times did this have to happen where they would come and just deliver that bad, bad news? And Well, I mean, it's yeah. duty you don't want. Um, I've actually had a friend who had this duty um, during some engagements. And it was not – it's not enjoyable. Um, but again, if you really want to have your heart rattled – Look at something like We Were Soldiers, which was set in Vietnam in 1965. Here you're dealing with a community of women um, whose husbands are all deployed overseas at the same time. Um, And instead of the two guys coming, they're receiving telegrams from Western Union. Yeah. And and literally you're – you are in the – and I love the way the – I don't love the way. The way the book depicts it is very impactful because, again – you're you're seeing a wife sitting there and all these Western Union cars are beginning to arrive. And that to me, you know, once you read something like that, it's very, very distressing. Well, or if you experience, you know, an actress like Haley Atwell, who does a very good job with a very short scene to convey emotion. And it's there. I felt empathy for the emotion that she was acting. So that's... Kudos. Kudos to you, Ms. Atwell. Kudos. And kudos to our writing staff for, for working on historic – on trying to bring some historical accuracy to fiction. All right. Well, I do have another big question before yeah. we go too far. What did Wilkes see? What's going on with Wilkes? Well, he was seeing a – it looked like a zero matter type of blob kind of thing. Yeah, that's what it looked like to me. Is is the zero matter calling him to Whitney? 
can he if he's to find Whitney and join with the zero matter would he then be able to quote unquote rest I don't know or will he just go where those other things went well and, and are those I'm other men still too. alive if he uh, is if he went through that experience and is working you know dealing with this zero matter uh state of being right now are those other men who went into the explosion uh you know on the film are are they still alive are the people who had the you know unfortunate uh distinction of touching this stuff before they knew what was going on are they still alive i'm i'm guessing the people who shattered are not but i'm you can ask trip <laughs> I, I was more reminded of the guy from the uh the haunted bus episode and yeah i did too Hey, can I throw another one at you too? Mm-hmm. Could Wilkes be Tripp's grandfather? I don't see why not. I don't either. Um, except did we meet mom or grandma back in season one? Uh it was grandma who had his grandpa's stuff. Hmm. Maybe a great he's a great grandparent. I mean, in Star Wars time, I'm sure he could be a great grandparent. I don't know. Or or dad. But I mean, the thing is, is I'm beginning to like the idea of a post Peggy Agent Carter Wilkes who is the scientific minded half of a partnership with the spy minded Peggy in a growing shield who would have toys that were issued to a an early an early field team led by Dum Dum Dugan called the Howling Commandos. Well, yeah, wait, because Tripp's grandfather was one of the Howling Commandos. Yeah. Yeah, so it's not Wilkes. Yeah, Grandpa's Gabe Jones. But Wilkes... Which, which in the comics, in the comics, Peggy and Gabe Jones have had a relationship. So maybe Wilkes' real name is Gabe Jones. I just want them to give us some answers in this situation. We've already met Gabe Jones, never mind. I'm an idiot. (laughs) Dang it. No, no, you're okay. You're okay. Falling apart, man. You're an unfeeling monster, but you're okay. I, 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 I can own that. Okay. Again, this is this was my field for a decade, man. Yeah, well, and and that is hard sometimes to be able to pull yourself away from the. You've already experienced all of these facts and details and and emotional. Well, and the thing is that. Here's the thing that's really cool for me is at one time I used to teach a modern military war history class. And I, I would I would assign a, the warriors, which I believe I mentioned earlier, because I wanted people to understand the psychology between those in the front and those behind, uh, the psychology of those who have experienced warfare. And, and again, these things, because of those assignments that I used to give folks, they just ring true. Well, maybe you wouldn't enjoy watching The Man Who Would Be Bond with our Howard Stark playing Ian Fleming because they go a lot of these places you're talking about. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. No, Did just... I say I didn't enjoy this? Just because I'm not getting emotional doesn't mean I'm not enjoying uh, it. You've already seen We're it just... all. You've already done it all. We're just enjoying it in different ways. It's true. You are enjoying it in a way that I never could because of your actual experience and knowledge. And I'm enjoying it in that, yeah, I took high school history and I've studied things to write about, but I haven't written about World War II. 
So no, I did write about World War II. I wrote about that one uh, one saint who went. Yeah, that was actually uh, Kobe. I think was his name. It's been a Maybe couple years. Maybe we come up with a comic idea, buddy. It's been a couple years, but anyway, yeah, you're you're enjoying it. Actually, I mean, if you look at the two of us, you're enjoying the the history of it, and I'm enjoying the the story of it. You can kind of almost look, you know, if you were to reduce us to a cliche. The writer guy is enjoying the story stuff, and the history guy is enjoying the history stuff. But that's part of what is cool about Agent Carter, though, is that it does give us this this history bent that we wouldn't have gotten anywhere else. I still, even though this had not a lot of action, not a lot of adventure, but this episode, it's still a part of that Agent Carter, just strong, strong storytelling and enjoyable characters and strong acting and great cinematography the the cinematography with this one was a little more subdued with the color schemes that they were using when they go to oklahoma or flashbacks but yeah i i've been enjoying agent carter season two far more than i enjoyed season one and i really liked season one it's another good i i did see earlier today you put a post up on uh facebook about how you were really digging two shows right now because they were fun um one with Agent Carter, one with Legends of Tomorrow. It's, now, I'll be honest, the kids are asking for Legends of Tomorrow around here. The luckily luckily for them, they're not noticing the uh the missteps as far as some of the story like, hey, if they just did this thing here, why are they getting on the ship here? I mean, that's happening in Legends. Um I won't rant too much about those because I'm I still You can't enjoy with it. that show. You can't. The, yeah, that's, that show just not meant to do that kind of storytelling. Ser- seriously, Ben, they're at an undisclosed location and then they're back at the college. They're getting on the ship at the college. So is the is the undisclosed location at the college? <laughs> it, you can't think too much about some of that stuff with that show it, because it's just meant to be the ride you go on. I love Heat Wave. I love Heat Wave. Legends of Tomorrow is doing for Heat Wave what Flash did for Captain Cold. Well, Heat Wave, he's just fun. Exactly. He's just, uh, you can see this actor, he is not quite chewing up the scenery. He's just th- thinking to himself, I'm really enjoying myself, but I really need to pull back because I could really let myself go here. Well, I, I think the lucky thing for a lot of these cast members in Legends of Tomorrow is, you know, some of them have had almost as much time as, as Souza's had to figure out his role. You know what I mean? It's because they've been on other shows. Yeah. Yeah. And so writers have had time to work things out before they drop into here, even though, again, where was the undisclosed location? Well, we're not here to talk about Legends of Tomorrow. No. We're here to talk about our friend Peggy Carter. We're not going to talk about how CBS just ordered a reboot of a reboot pilot of MacGyver. Because that sounds Jarvelous. Let's not talk about that. And it doesn't sound Jarvelous because Jarvelous is a good thing, Daniel. It is. It's a a good good thing. thing. If you're feeling Jarvelous, it's not because of a reboot of MacGyver. No. I'm just frustrated, Ben. (laughs) Because I took your word? Yeah, because here's the thing. If I had a lat... Never mind. mind. (laughs) If I had a lat... Maybe we should go somewhere else. I don't know. I don't know if we should or not. But Maybe later I'm going to have some strong words for you because I was feeling Jarvelous and then you, you just took it away from me. Sorry to take away your Jarvelousness, but I I just... Notice I, I still I, found opportunities to say Jarvelous. 
most of them in context of me, though. Yeah. What are you yeah. going to do? Not much, because I just, you, you can't own a word. I mean, you can use the word, Daniel. I'll, I'll let you. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a fun series. Very fun. Should we move on to listener feedback? Yeah, let's do that. All right. SSR Field Report. All right, Daniel. We got one feedback that we need to listen or read today. Um, there's but a couple other things I, I need to sort to, through, but what? I think we need to talk about another piece of feedback right now that we received on Facebook okay. that might directly impact you. Okay. Um, one of our agents posted a story from Hello Giggles dot com saying that the networks are looking to take away Hulu's next day streaming option for shows. Thoughts? Uh not too worried about it right now. However, with Hulu well, I've already said this last episode, I'm keeping it. <laughs> I was so mad that I had to use it. I'm like, I'm just using the free option, the free week. And then I get on Hulu and I'm like, I love my Netflix, but I guess I'm doing both now because Criterion on Hulu. Oh, man. Daniel. Daniel, you don't know what I stepped into with that. <laughs> so many good movies. There you go. All right. So you, let's go to your piece of feedback. My piece of feedback comes from Agent Jessica. Not Agent Jessica Jones, but just Agent Jessica. And she says, hi, guys. I know it's been a while. I'm slightly behind on the Jessica Jones podcast, but I wanted to write a quick email about season two of Agent Carter through episode three. I'm really liking it a lot. I'm actually more into it than I was at this point in season one. Part of it, I'm sure, is they don't need to spend as much time introducing the core characters. I love the time period and I love the feel of the episodes. I'm loving the writing and the actors and I think it's a super interesting story so far. I really enjoy the I really hope the ratings are good enough for them to renew it again because if they keep this up, I know I'll be wanting more by the end of the season. I like Suze's girlfriend. I'm pretty sure Violet is not Hydra. I'll be very upset if she is, even though I ship Suze and Carter, but I think she should be put on the death watch. She is a likable or she is likable. And if she isn't Hydra or being set up to become another villain down the road, which I hope she isn't, then I think she's going to be this season's major death. Maybe in addition to Thompson, if they go the sacrificial route, like you suspect. I wasn't surprised that Wilkes was still alive, but I also wouldn't be surprised if Peggy doesn't end up with him in the again in the end. Again, Violet is on my death watch list, so I would technically so technically that would free up Souza. I don't want him to end up fading away like they did with a character in a recent Pixar movie. Spoiler, maybe. Mm. Eh. Mm. So I hope they fix that issue soon. But I would I like mean, to see I'm him. Sure we all know she's talking about the good dinosaur. Wink, Ugh. wink. The one Pixar movie, one original that I'm just not interested in. I haven't seen it yet. I'm not interested. I, I never will. I never will. Yeah, but I'm a giant Disney fan. Yeah, but I'm a giant Pixar fan. Hey, I'm reading a great book right at the moment about Pixar. It's given to me by my friend. It's a book by Ed Catmule. Yeah. He was inspiring last year. I, when I heard him speak, I didn't see him in person, but yeah, he was inspiring. Anyway, great person for you guys to Google Ed Catmule, C-A-T-M-U-L-L. Uh, she doesn't want him to fade away. So I hope they fix that issue soon, but I would like to see him find someone else 
or it just not working between him and Peggy if they are aiming towards Sousa and her being together still. I kind of got some flash vibes with the whole particle accelerator mention, but that's not a bad thing. I miss best friend Angie, so I'm hoping we see her soon and see what she is up to. I love having Rose be more involved. Hope to see more of her. I think the casting agency idea is an awesome, is awesome as a front. I really enjoy Jarvis's wife and hope to learn more about her as well. I would also like to see more of Dottie, not expecting her to go away completely, at least not this early. I like that we got an episode with Stark early on, too. I would love the Howling Commandos to get worked in somehow this season. The Secret Society thing is interesting. Definitely has a Hydra vibe. My question is, if Hydra is already around, is this just a front for Hydra, or is it something different that eventually aligns itself with Hydra? Just wonder what your thoughts are there. The symbol is obviously one that we see when Fitz and Simmons are looking up old symbols, but I would like to know more about how it evolved. Maybe we'll see that in the second half of this of the season of S.H.I.E.L.D. The Zero Matter totally reminds me of a mix between Gravitonium and the Obelisk, and maybe even a little bit of what happened to that guy back in Season 1 of S.H.I.E.L.D. that was haunting the girl he liked after the explosion. Although I had a corporeal form, although he had a corporeal form at some time. I'm not really sure what to think of it, especially now that Frost pretty much can absorb things, but doesn't absorb but it doesn't absorb her. If it transports things to another dimension or planet, that could be really interesting given what we've already seen in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Anyway, these are my thoughts so far. Trying to catch up on Jessica Jones' podcast to leave feedback there. Also, totally loving The Flash and Legends of Tomorrow. And even this season of Arrow is pretty good. Daniel should give it another shot for this season at least. So I was excited to hear the post-credit chat about Legends of Tomorrow. I hope you keep that up, especially once you're done with Heroes. Keep up the great work, Agents. Agent Jessica. So, that's our feedback. Heat Legends talk in for this week. Yeah, we, well, I think Heat Wave's my Patronus. Heat Wave is, I I didn't know what to expect with him, and then all of a sudden he's just this. I'm telling you, doesn't it make you want to watch The Flash? It does, it does. But I have other things I need to do. And I mean, I, I never saw Prison Break, but it fascinates me that basically they bring these two guys in from Prison Break, <laughs> have them play in Buds. I know they played Brothers, and now they're going to get to do a, a, you know, basically the Heroes Reborn version of, of Prison Break. And I'm telling you, it's because these dudes have chemistry. They do. And they're cool. They're cool dudes. And I was watching Parks and Rec with my wife, and I think Hawk Girl is in there in that last season of, of Parks and Rec. I think it's her. I, I haven't been sitting down and watching closely. So I'm like watching and, and seeing things in passing on my wife's iPad as she's watching Netflix. I'm like, that looks like Hawk Girl. I think that's Hawk well, Girl. The Hawks don't really work for me. Really? No, they don't really do. But I think when I was a kid, I was really fascinated with Hawkman. And, and then I think maybe the Justice League... And Justice League Unlimited series kind of ruined me on him and kind mm. of set him up as the bad guy. And then the comics have just made it rough. Well, I feel so like they've done a good job of kind of synthesizing a whole bunch of different Hawkman origins and backgrounds into this character. And that's the one thing I think is, you know, there isn't one particular run on Hawkman that just defines him like there is with kind of Superman or Green Lantern or, or Flash. Um yeah. All right. Well, I think uh, are we going to talk about Heroes Reborn after the credits? That's the plan, buddy. All right. Let's do it then. Uh, until next time, I want to say thank you for listening, everyone. And listen to the credits to find out how you can talk to us because we want to hear from you. 
and we, we love getting emails like that one from Agent Jessica. Now that that's out of the way, Daniel, do you have anything that you would like to say to, you know, final words, well, parting I, words, I advice? I did plan. My plan was to have a Jarvelous day. It really was. I was totally excited about it. But then Ben Avery had to ruin it. And here's the thing about Ben Avery's. It's endurable appearance hides a vile temperament. Thanks for listening to Welcome to Level 7. You've heard us, now we'd love to hear from you. Go to welcometolevel7.com slash feedback where you can contact us through our website. You can also leave us a voicemail by calling one seventy seven fifty five level 7 You can also join the lively conversation going on at facebook.com slash welcome to level seven or connect with us on Twitter where we're level seven pod. And remember, the seven is spelled out. Our theme music is Little Lily Swim by Tritachion, found at soundcloud.com slash tri tachyon. You had to know I was going to say it though, Daniel. Yeah, but you had to know I was going to say it. So you had. No. Sometimes we have to show consideration for our friends, Ben. That's how we play with our friends. <laughs> Someone once said that we squabble like an old married couple, Daniel. And I feel like this episode is kind of that ramped up to 11. <laughs> <laughs> what can I say, Ben? I don't know. I'm neither old or married to you. so. Right, right. But but you had to know I was going to go with Jarvelous. Everybody in America knew, knew I was going to go with Jarvelous. I thought you, well, that's not what I thought you were going to go with. And, you and, know, it, it was my fault because sometimes when there's just one that you want so, so bad, so, so bad, we warn the other person. You I have just, done that in the past. You didn't for this but, one. But I wanted it to be more organic. Yeah, but this Jarvelous, it's just a word. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Daniel. It's not going to get used it's just in boom. this episode. It's the new boom. It is. Maybe. Maybe. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about Heroes Reborn, huh? Send in the clones. (laughs) Send in the clones. Yeah, it's uh, episode 11 of 13. Is that correct? There's two episodes after that. Yeah. Yeah. Can I just say? Mm -hmm. Just say it. Huge disservice breaking this thing up. It's huge. Yeah. I mean, I'm a little delayed. You're a little delayed. But this weight, I mean... I just emotionally am just not with it. I, were I don't you know before though? It's over. It's not coming back. Were, were you but emotionally with it before though? There were times. I, I think, especially in some of the early episodes, I was like, I want to see old friends again. Mm-hmm. But, but I think maybe I hit on one of the reasons why this one really, this one fell flat for me, and it shouldn't have. It shouldn't have felt flat because we have a giant army of Harris clones, and you know I love Harris. Mm-hmm. We have Harris fighting with an axe versus katana girl we finally have the axe in action just like mac and so there's things i should totally be digging about this but i think one of the reasons i've liked some of the past episodes is this feeling of meeting old friends seeing old friends again and and sorry matt's not a friend he's a jerk oh i I, but that almost made me turn against the show but noah no, Noah's well, gone. We'll talk about that. Noah's not here. And I, I really wonder if they had brought Noah into this episode, if even in a small way, if it would have upped the enjoyment factor for me. Because it's really Noah that I've enjoyed seeing the most. 
It's, and he's just not here. I yeah. mean, he's literally not here. I mean, I, I wasn't as much of a fan as you, but when, at the beginning of this se- season, seeing Noah come back and, and dealing with the, you know, the fallout of, of uh, his daughter, you know, and, and, and all these things. Then you have time travel, you throw that in. But then I just feel like we're back into the pattern of great start and then you get to the end and it's just what I don't care uh, uh, yeah I mean again there's cool elements I mean for heaven's sakes we have again army of clones we have Tomorrowland oh man that's I a mean, really that's cool what idea set up. And, and yeah. they, that's a cool idea the way that they're going to use uh, I can't remember the kid's name now but Ollie. his his power to bring people to the future you know with we've got we got Doctor Ho- Doctor Who's phone apparently. They can call through time. Sure, in Legends of Tomorrow they have his wardrobe, but here they have his phone. We've got Apple watches that will make people teleport. What? Yeah, well, that's a cool element though. It's it it's is. that that homing in technology. They're using that to home in on Evos, you know, and where they were, and now here they're using something similar to you know pull the important people who want to go, you know, want to survive. The, the stakes are raised in this episode because we find out what's happening with the solar flares. We end with a cliffhanger with the solar flare. I'm with them enough to want to know what happens. This episode, and maybe it's the distance, Daniel. Maybe it's exactly what you're talking about. It's falling flat for me, though. Yeah, it's just hard to get back into it. But I never felt like I was 100% in it. Well, that's not true. At the beginning, I felt like I was really getting into I, it. I think for you, what really turned things was Quentin and being the butterfly. Yeah, yeah. And and here, you know, we see Quentin beginning to realize um, things aren't right. This mm. isn't the way we should be acting. You know, my sister's a little cray-cray. <laughs> you know, we're, we're seeing him come back maybe to center on the Quentin that you knew and liked. But again, the problem with this Quentin is he – where's his relationship with Noah – which well, is really what we enjoyed about Quentin. And he betrayed them. He's a betraying betrayer who betrays. And, yeah, and I mean, in Chuck, he's going to have to die, and Joanna's going to have to kill him in order to make things right. Yeah. They're going to have to kill each other at the same time in order to make things right. And I, I, I enjoyed the Batman and Ferris stuff. That was fun. Yeah. That was fun. And, and the yeah, you're right. And rescuing uh, Micah. Is that his name? See, here's the, again, yeah, here's the thing. We look at this episode, and there's things that you and I love, okay? Clone army, check. Axe sword fight, check. Time travel, check. Tomorrowland, check. Technology, check. Batman in love, check. So we've got <laughs> this recipe. We, we do. We have this really great recipe of sci-fi superhero fun that's got Daniel and Ben's name written right on it with a giant stamp. Correct? Check. So why is it flat for us today? Is it our moods? Is it the snow? Is it uh, maybe I've got a cold? I know it's not the snow for me anyway. Um, But you know what I mean? I mean, there's so much stuff that in this, is it too much? Is it missing the glue of Noah? It's I, it's anticlimactic. That's that's a part it. of it for me. You know, you you say we have that axe battle, 
that should be momentous, but I feel like it's limited by budget. And so, okay, uh, other clones go away. I'm going to take care of which, this. Which the conclusion of that doesn't make any sense to me because if you cut off his head, shouldn't just... No, he's the original. I know, but when he cuts things off, new things grow. I have a hard time believing that cutting him kills him. Well, it wasn't just the head. It was the stab through the heart. Yeah. I mean, we we don't see him regenerating. No, we do see him regenerating. That's exactly what we see him doing. Yeah. Remember what I was talking about when people just talk and, and they're wrong? Well, that's me. I'm telling you, there's been an evil Deadpool literally built together because his head got cut off and a new one grew. But, I mean... Well, yeah, we, the sum of the parts is not as great as some of the parts, I guess. Uh, should we talk about Matt? You know, that's it, Daniel. That's it. Matt is what turned me against this episode. And I don't understand why, because that's exactly where my, Matt's character arc would have gone. You think so? Yeah, he's always been that. He's always been weak. But this was weak he, he's in a worse way. Well. The family issues, bad decisions. I remember the family issues. I remember the bad decisions. But this is bad decisions toward just total evil jerk. Well, but he's going a little crazy. He can hear everything. So you don't become evil. Before you become evil, you say, if I'm going to go crazy because I can't stop hearing everything, I need to go somewhere where I'm not hearing everything. And his or, his excuse or, of everything's peaceful here. No. No, no, no. You're not listening. He's making everything peaceful for them. But you're not listening. What he's saying is, I've messed up everything. Everything. And because of that, my family has rejected me. Yeah, and he's doing this to by, save his by family. By doing this, yeah. my family gets a second chance. He's He thinks he's making a noble sacrifice in order to protect those that he loved, that he's already messed up things with a thousand times, which, again, falls into the Mac Parkman, weak-minded, low-moral compass, makes bad decisions. And maybe that would be... Maybe that's really the more realistic decision that someone would make, is I will you know, go ahead and... Why not do this to people who are just going to die anyway if it means my family's not going to die? You know... Maybe that's a justification there, but uh, that's what made me turn against this. I, I didn't. I never felt this way about Matt. I liked Matt. I remember liking Matt. I never liked Matt. Really? They, they write him as a character not to be liked. I remember liking him, though. I don't remember him much. Maybe you wanted him to, to make good choices and make good. Maybe you wanted him to find a way to grow. I just, I feel like I connected with him. And now I don't like him, but it's vague feelings. It's Maybe not specific memories. Maybe he has an adorable, appearance with, a, a door, adorable <laughs> appearance with a vile inside. So you're saying he's he's the hero's reborn koala bear? He could be. He could be. Mm. But again, again, there's so much good stuff in this recipe. And I just... Oh. If they can go big and if they can pull it together, you know... I'm not going to rewatch Heroes Reborn, but they have two more episodes. They have not completely lost me. So I'm, well, I'm I'll hoping. This. Earlier I'm... this week, there was a because con- I have to watch with uh, my oldest, and there was a conversation about legends or heroes. 
Legends was chosen. Oh. Legends was also chosen over Rebels, Star Wars Rebels, and an episode of The Flash on DVR. Legends is fun. Legends is fun. Heroes Reborn is okay, but it's clearly, you know, they're, they're, it wasn't going to get picked up for a second season. However, that gives me hope. Because I feel like in this episode, we are traveling toward an end. Killing off the clones in this episode makes me feel like we're heading toward a definitive end and not some sort of course correction cliffhanger. Yeah, they wouldn't have done that the first time because they would have realized that Harris was the best thing going. Yeah. And they would have found a way to keep him going. Well, and I think they still could. You know, maybe what you're saying is exactly what could happen is if they wanted to do a season two and they wanted a nice cliffhanger or something, we find out that there's a head in a jar and it's the, you know, the actual number one clone or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. But we'll be too busy writing our world war two comic book or other things in the hopper. But, yeah. Okay, Daniel, I think that's it. What do you think? I think it's time for me to just feel jarvelous and dance my way out of here. <laughs> Let's do it. 